After reviewing the play, the call on the ice stands. We got to go. Okay, fellas, we are set to go. Let's go. We are kicking. Watch the blue. There we go. Yeah, baby. Hey, you got the power play. Get out of here. Hey. 36, right here for the rock. Both guys, five minutes each for fighting. Hey, hey. We're not doing this. I don't want to babysit all night. A little bit of nastiness today. Huh? Nothing good's coming out of this, big man. Have you seen this before? Yes, it's rule something, point something. He's not putting a stick in you. You keep your stick out of him. Here we go. Let's roll, boys. Let's go. Hey, 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 hey. Let's go. After further review, it's the Scouting the Refs podcast. Here's your hosts, Todd Lewis and Josh Smith. When you're ready, big guy. All right, guys, let's drop the puck. Closing days of the regular season. This is the excitement, anticipation of playoff races, the final few games to see who gets in, who doesn't make it. This is this is the anticipation Christmas Eve kind of part of the season for me, Josh. I love this time of year. I mean, the first round of the playoffs is the best two weeks of hockey. There's action every night. Every game matters. So it's a lot of fun. Kind of miss the days when more teams were jockeying for more than just position or, or just playing out the string here when you have those real good battles. Not as many, but still a couple wild card spots up for grabs. So great hockey and uh, still figuring out who exactly is going to make the cut. Are you saying that you might like to see play-in games added oh, to this time of year to help that out? You know, I don't think I want play-in games, but I, I think if we got rid of the loser point, maybe we could uh, shake things up a little bit. Okay. Oh, I like that idea. In fact, we will get to some other rule ideas coming up a little bit later on on this edition of the Scouting the Refs podcast. Please make sure you follow the social channels. Get Josh on Twitter and Instagram at Scouting the Refs. At Scouting the Refs is the handle for me. It's at Todd Lewis Sports on both Twitter and on Instagram. On this week's episode, isn't that checking from behind? Contact, but no call. Ref down. Hands off. And Court is back in session. You know, Josh, before we get too far into some of the game situations and rules discussions, let us first officially bid adieu to referee Mark Joannette, who worked his final game of his NHL career in Montreal, Montreal Canadiens hosting the Detroit Red Wings. Over 1,400 regular season games, 170 playoff games, cup finals, and I thought we have seen this a few times. It was very nice by teams to shake hands with Joe Annette after the game and congratulate him. Well done. Yeah, great to see it after that game and, and great to see it leading up to it as Jonette was doing the farewell tour and hitting some of the big arenas, uh, Madison Square Garden, going through Boston. And you saw the teams doing the handshakes as he started working those final games for each club. So nice to see across the league that they they acknowledge the officials. You know, you, you hope as an official that you're not really recognized all that much. You can disappear into the background. You can call a fair game and you don't necessarily want the attention. But I thought it was great of all of the teams to start acknowledging him and give him a proper send off. So great career for Jonette. I think he will be missed. He's one of the most experienced referees working. So we'll miss him in the postseason. We'll miss him going forward. The only retirement taking place this year. So we'll see who gets promoted to fill the void. I, I don't think that uh, handshakes and a pat on the back really make up for, you know, 20 plus years of <laughs> that's the worst call I've ever right. seen, but it's still a nice gesture. Hey, hey, ref, you stink. 
Hey, good, good job, buddy. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, let's congratulate as well the officials working the Women's World Championships that are taking place, the Frozen Four that is about to get going in Tampa. And also another note that the OHL is holding another officials combine camp. You've got a story about that up on the Scouting the Refs website. And again, this is the second year for this. I think it's great to bring more people into the world of officiating. Absolutely. It's something that the NHL has done for quite a few years now of having their exposure combine over the summer, bringing in either potential officials, high level officials, or even former high level players to see if they can transition over to officiating. So it's been a strategy that the NHL has used to try to expand the pool of potential officials, something the OHL tried last year, and it was a great success bringing it back this year. So still an opportunity if you're in the Ontario area or plan to be and would like to work in the OHL. There are still slots available for the OHL's camp there. So definitely sign up. I mean, it's, it's a great way to get your feet wet, to understand, to get some evaluations and feedback. So a great opportunity there. And I think real smart by these leagues to take that extra step to try to help develop or identify folks that might be officials in their respective leagues. Good for them. Okay, let's get into a couple of game situations from this past week. And we'll begin with the New Jersey Devils and Pittsburgh Penguins. There was a lot of attention focused on a hit by Michael McLeod of the Devils, who, eh, how shall we say, ran Brian Dumoulin into the end boards as the two were pursuing a puck. Dumoulin was down for a bit. He was okay. But much like the hit we talked about last week with Connor McDavid, I don't know that it was malicious. I don't know that it was really an attempt to clobber the guy. But 100%, this is a penalty that should have been called. Absolutely. It's a dangerous play. It's clearly a hit from behind into the board, one where you are looking at a potential injury. All day, this is a minor penalty. I was surprised referees Frederick Lecouye and Kendrick Nicholson, no call on that one. Certainly, both teams took exception afterwards. We had a little scrum pop up, but Lecouye was right on top of the play, didn't whistle despite Dumoulin's injury. Now, I'm not expecting that an injury prompts a call, but those types of dangerous hits that often do result in injury you don't have the opportunity to go back. You know They can't say, hey, he was injured, let's take a look at it. You can only review when you've got a major penalty call on the ice. So without that call, there's really nothing to be done at that point. But yeah, to me, Todd, this is a penalty all day. At the most recent general manager's meetings, there was a lot of talk about video review, as you just inferred. And in the Ottawa Senators game this past week against the Carolina Hurricanes, Sens player Jake Sanderson was assessed a two-minute minor for delay of the game for knocking the puck over glass. Hey, everyone's favorite rule. Turns out, as you watch the replays afterward, the puck was knocked out by a Carolina player. Sanderson was an innocent victim. I didn't do it. I didn't touch it. I didn't do anything. And I know the NHL stats that were cited at the GM meeting say this only happens a few times a year. But this is an easy, quick review. Don't you think that we should add this to the list of reviews? I think it would make our lives better. Oh, I, I don't know that I want more reviews, but I think if we're going to call it, if it's going to be an automatic penalty, then we probably need to make sure they're getting it right every time. You know, we, we look at all the other situations and this one is so critical. It's, as I said, it's an automatic penalty. So this is the, the penalty that gets called late in a game. This is a penalty that gets called in overtime. There's no judgment on... Did this make a difference? Was this a consequential play? Was there a turnover? Those types of things that go into many of the other penalty calls. This is just black and white. Puck over glass, it's a delay of game call. So of all of the ones that don't require judgment, this is one we probably want to make sure we get right. And for the officials to call it, you need to have seen 
what happened here. So it was a missed call by the official. They got it wrong. I mean, both sticks were there. You just don't have the benefit of replay and the different angles to see. So it was an unfortunate call. It was one that I know after the game they would love to have back. But yeah, maybe maybe we do look at replay for puck over glass. It's just the nature of the penalty and because it is such a significant call because it's automatic mm-hmm. i i almost feel like having the situation room just take a look and check to make sure it's right is is not really that bad of an idea i don't want to slow things down but you know maybe if we treated it like icing it wouldn't be such a big deal when they get the call wrong like they did in this case but one way or another anything that's automatic i think we want to make sure we're getting it right We'll get to another idea for puck over glass in a few minutes. But the the thing I believe everyone's reluctant to review this is because, well, we only want to review major penalties if it's significant and the like. But so the alternative really would be to make puck over glass a major penalty, don't you think? And then you could review it. (laughs) Well, we make it a major. Yeah. Then we take a look at it. We can downgrade it to a minor because it was uh, unintentional or we can wipe it off completely. I mean, why why not? Okay, another another strange one from this past week. I've never heard of this before. I don't recall ever seeing this before, but it got pointed out in the Maple Leafs and Columbus Blue Jackets game. Interesting situation that I don't know if it's a missed stoppage or you tell me how this is interpreted. Toronto's leading one nothing. Jack Roslevic scores the tying goal for the Columbus Blue Jackets. And, it, but it's how the play went down that was interesting. It starts in the Blue Jackets end. And Roslovic bats the puck with his hand in his own end. That's okay. But the puck carries outside the blue line. Liam Foody picked up the puck, but his skates are still inside the defensive zone. The puck is outside. Foody passes it to Ken Johnson, who sends it back to Roslovic, who scores the goal. When Foody collects the puck, the puck is outside the blue line. His skates are inside. Is this a missed hand pass? Could this have been challenged by the Maple Leafs for a missed stoppage? Yes and no. Oh, perfect. <laughs> <laughs> so we'll start with the hand pass. As you know, hand passes are permitted in the defensive zone. So we have a situation where the puck was batted in the defensive zone by a player in the defensive zone and picked up by a player whose skates are still in the defensive zone. But that's not what Rule 79 calls for. It specifies that the location of the puck when contacted by the player receiving the hand pass determines the zone it's in. So the location of the puck when Foodie plays it is in the neutral zone. So while it might not have had a a material impact on the play, by the letter of the law under Rule 79-2, that was a missed hand pass because he plays it in the neutral zone, making it uh, not legal under the rulebook. So that's the first strike. I'll give folks a break on that one for the officials. It's a bang-bang play. You're looking at it real-time. You have one view of where you're seeing it from. And with Foodie still being in the defensive zone, depending on positioning, it might have been hard to spot. So we get a goal out of it. But the Leafs cannot challenge it because coaches' challenges are restricted to potential missed stoppages that happen in the attacking zone. So anything that happens in the defensive end, anything that happens at center ice or in the neutral zone is not eligible for a missed stoppage. We saw a play earlier this year where there was a puck that was touched by a high stick and it came down to where the high stick was that was in the neutral zone, but it was subsequently played in the attacking zone. So we had a bit of a debate on where the actual stoppage took place. It's the same idea here where it has to be in the attacking zone. This was clearly not so not eligible for a challenge. But yes, it it was unfortunately a missed call. 
Wow, interesting. This this goes to show how complex a legal document the rule book is. That well, but and and this is you know this is not slighting anyone, but this is the difficulty that officials have making that assessment and trying to get the call right. And in a game that moves so quickly, it's understandable that something like this would get missed. And and Todd, I'll give credit to the rule book in this case because unlike many of the other situations. It does specify that the location of the puck at the time it is played is what determines the zone that the pass took place in. So for once, we get a real specific, clear guideline. Does it matter where his skates are, where a stick is? Yes, this one tells us it's the puck in the neutral zone at the time. So I'll be thankful that for once we have a, a very clear rule <laughs> that we can point to to say, hey, there's no gray area here. It's, it, it's specifically based on the puck so we can make proper interpretation and not leave it up to, well, what do they consider where the player is? Is it a skate? Is it a stick? So a nice clear rule for a change. Okay, that's good. Now, another play that requires some interpretation, and I'll get from you. Uh, this is in the Tampa Bay and New York Ranger game from this past week. It was, it was a real tough, hard, physical game. Corey Perry is pursuing Rangers defenseman Jacob Truba into the corner. Truba goes to play the puck. Perry kind of hits him, there's contact, there's another Tampa player that's also up along the boards. Truba gets tangled up and goes down and can't really protect himself and lands face first on the ice. He left the game and uh, hopefully he's not out for too long. This to me is kind of a dirty play as I, I look at it. It's not a slew foot, it's not that dramatic, but it does seem like it's sort of accidentally on purpose by Perry hitting Truba, who is pursuing him. He sees him going towards the, the boards and does make contact with his leg. Does this fall into the dangerous trip area for you? Uh, this is a tough one. I, I think you, you nailed it, though, calling it another one of those accidentally on purpose type of situations, because obviously Truba is eligible to be checked on the play. So we don't have anything where it's interference. It's not anything that is specifically a, a trip necessarily where you've got him sticking a leg out or, or an arm out or something out to, to cause Truba to fall down. But he, he certainly with the position of his left leg there is intending to make contact. Now, whether that's going to be a legal hit, whether it's going to be a trip, it's absolutely one of those accidentally on purpose situations. Perry knows what he's doing. He knows he has his foot out there as he's going in to make contact with the idea that he's going to end up sweeping the leg. I, I think that's something that many hockey players know. You, based on your position against the boards, you know if you hit a guy a certain way, you're going to take that leg out, and that's exactly what he did. Now, whether he intended to injure him or whether he thought he would go down or just get some leverage to get the puck back, I think we go back to the accidentally on purpose part of Perry knows what he's doing out here, and, and he can make it look like it's not intentional, but this is one of those tough spots where can we say that it was a dangerous trip or was it just unfortunate during body contact on a hit? Was it incidental? That's where it makes it hard on the officials to get that call. Okay. Um, get a piece of them. Let them know you're yeah, out there, I think yeah. is the uh, is the phrase that maybe comes to mind there. Sure. There, there, there was also the the goal by Brandon Hagel that was that was uh, included in the play because Alex Kalorn had the real pickle stabble there on uh, the Rangers goaltender. Kalorn has been fined $5,000 for slashing, <coughs> slashing. And uh, Adam Fox has been fined that same amount for slashing. Well, Corey Perry, as a matter of fact. So I guess we call these offsetting fines, but this, this was a kind of a nasty physical game. I wasn't surprised that there was something coming out of it. I didn't know how much or what we'd see. Uh, certainly that play 
by Kalorn was a scary one. Anytime you've got a goaltender that's down and uh, Shesterkin was basically sitting up there, I think, trying to scoot the puck over the goal line in case it had gone in. He was looking for the, the benefit of getting it back into the blue paint before he got up. But Kalorn comes right in, driving with the stick into a very sensitive location on Shesterkin, it looked like. And thankfully, he was no worse for wear, but the Rangers obviously took exception to it. And so did the league. And, and they should. I mean, there, yeah. this wasn't a situation where we had a loose puck. That play with the goal itself, we did have Shesterkin and a, a loose puck in the crease. And when the puck ends up going in on the goal, there may have been contact with Hagel and the goaltender there. But that is one of those rebound situations where Hagel is entitled to play the puck. It's loose in the crease. So that was incidental contact. That was good. There was no goaltender interference on the play. Uh, the bad stuff happened after the puck went in. And uh, <laughs> at least a, I think a fine is warranted here. Absolutely. Now, the best hit of the game may have been delivered by Vincent Trocek on an unsuspecting referee, Chris Rooney, when both went tumbling down. Rooney didn't see Trocek kind of approaching him from uh, the backside or the blind side. And I got to say, big shout out to the production crew at TNT that was airing the game who had Chris Rooney mic'd up for the game and they played it back and hearing that collision you understand how how difficult a job it is and how severe these hits can be for these referees trying to stay out of the way. Yeah, it's a good thing the NHL took blindside out of the rule book for some of those <laughs> illegal hits because Rooney never saw him coming. It's one of the scary moments where you you're not expecting it and thankfully no injury on the play but certainly could have been much worse. Some folks had reached out seeing the hit to say, you know, but it's scary that the officials don't wear any padding. They do. You know, there are shin guards, elbow pads. Some folks will wear a, a, a vest or you certainly have a girdle and padded pants. So there is some protection there, but not what the players wear and, and not enough necessarily to protect you from a hit like that. So I was glad to see that there was no injury on the play. It would have been a, a scary moment for an official who is certainly looking ahead to the Stanley Cup playoffs in a few weeks. I would think so. Okay. As we wrap up this edition, Every now and again, the guys at The Athletic do what's called a rules court piece. They take some reader suggestions and they decide if these rules suggestions should be implemented. There's always some, some good ideas, some wacky ideas, but I think it's kind of fun to review them as well. So here's some of what Sean McIndoe, Ian Mendez, and Sean Gentili got and thought about. One of the suggestions, and it's a bit extreme but when you think about it, it it could be workable no more offside the guys mostly liked it because it eliminated some video review and i think that was one of the positives <laughs> right. but I, I don't know if i'm ready to go that far to eliminate offside at the blue lines yet i don't think so i mean it's an interesting argument because players are definitely more responsible than they used to be and i think you would have a certain group of players that might cheat but the way coaching strategies are the way they look for guys to be in the neutral zone to clog up lanes I don't know if it would play out the way it would have in the 70s or 80s. I, it could work. I, I think it would take a while for the teams to adapt to what type of strategy. How do you maximize that? But I don't know, Todd. I, I wouldn't rule it out completely. Maybe there's, there's a possibility there. As crazy as it would make the game be, maybe it opens things up a little bit more and it absolutely gets rid of a whole category of video reviews. Yes, it, it does. It's, I don't know, maybe there's a compromise, but it's, it, it is an extreme change. We, we talked a few minutes ago about puck over glass and the difficulty and the challenges. It's an automatic penalty right now. But one of the suggestions was it becomes an uncontested offensive face zone. Now, what I mean, of course, is, you know, there's no line change just on, on an icing. And 
the centerman is not permitted to stand at the face-off dot and try to win it. They have to line up at the back of the circle. So basically, the puck is placed on the dot, referee blows the whistle, and the offensive team takes the draw, makes a pass, and does whatever they want with it. You know what? If it if it gets rid of some of the whining about the automatic penalty, I'm in favor of doing this. Yeah, that's that's an interesting take. You know, we've always talked about treating it like icing, but to do an uncontested face-off would, uh, would be a little bit more punitive than icing because you're giving them possession instead of a, a 50-50 shot. And it's not unprecedented. There historically was a time in the National Hockey League when uh, an, an uncontested faceoff was part of the game. So this isn't even necessarily a new as much as it's bringing something back. So I, I, I don't think you can uh, object to at least considering it because there is some historical significance in an uncontested faceoff in the attacking zone. So uh, good on them for pulling that one out of the archives. Okay, that's good. That's that's original. That's different. Here's another one that I actually really like. When there is a delayed penalty in the and the team is in the offensive zone with possession of the puck, the defensive team that has the delayed penalty must clear the puck past the blue line to get a whistle. It's no longer worrying about did he touch it or did he possess it? They have to clear the puck across the blue line. I kind of like this one. Well, that is a good one. Yeah, I think. I think that makes a lot of sense if you're trying to sustain some offense there. And we've seen how many times a tired defensive team just touches the puck and they don't actually have much of a play on it and they they're they're running out of gas they get a stick on it but i think you open up the offense a little bit more i still wonder why we don't still enforce the penalty when this happens because just because they score doesn't mean the guy should get off scot-free we we score at even strength i know they can pull the goaltender because the other team can't touch the puck but I think we're letting guys get off the hook. If nothing else, Todd, let's let's still stick the guy in the box for two minutes, even if it's at full strength because a goal was scored. But I think we need to stop letting criminals off the hook just because a goal was scored on the delayed call, <laughs> which more, okay. plenty more would happen under this rule, which is an interesting one. I, I, I do like that take. More offense is good. Okay. And this one may also cause more offense. It also has to do with penalties, but power plays in overtime become three on two instead of four on three. Wow, uh, it's a lot of space out there on the ice. It's such a non-hockey situation. I guess three-on-three three hockey already is to begin with. But you think about it, we've never had a situation where there are only two defenders for for a team out there on the ice. There have always been a minimum of three players on the ice at all times. So if we're going with three-on-three three as hockey, then I guess three-on-two can follow suit and, and do that. I, it'd be fun to see. I think that's that's something you try out at the ECHL or the AHL level. You see how it goes because I feel like all that space, all that room, you're, you're going to definitely have a, a higher conversion rate than you do at four on three. I can't imagine the comments coming from people that would say, oh, so it's another gimmick for hockey. Oh, they're all gimmicks. Hey, take another penalty. We'll do a three on one. <laughs> Love it. Get in the box. It's the Scouting the Refs podcast. Read more at scoutingtherefs.com. Follow Scouting the Refs on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at Scouting the Refs. Email the show at heyref at scoutingtherefs.com. Subscribe, share, and keep those sticks down. That's good work.